stationary y'all know i love to take notes i love to write i love to write on paper i love to write notebooks matt what'd you get me for christmas this year i got you notebooks and pens and organizers correct i love it uh and i find that it genuinely helps me remember things better as opposed to typing them or like putting them on a like a text file or whatever actually writing something down physically helps me a lot. It helps me organize my thoughts. It helps me get my work done. And ever since I got my new uh, iPad and I got the Apple Pencil with it, I have been doing that on there, and that's great. The only problem I've had with it, it doesn't quite feel like writing on paper, which is a feeling I like. We have the solution to that problem. That's right. Paper-like. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a screen protector for your iPad. It uses a proprietary technology called nanodots. With those nanodots, you feel the natural resistance of paper on your iPad screen. It is a paper-like feeling on your iPad. So if you're drawing, if you're taking notes, if you're using your iPad like you would a notebook, here's the way for it to really feel natural. And Chris, I know you love that. You you have an iPad, you got a paper-like and I'm sure it's, it feels just right for you. It does. It feels great to use. Also, Matt, you know I'm very particular about paper. I have yes. specific brands of notebooks that I will and will not use. And paper, like, feels good on the iPad. Uh, they also make accessories for the pencil to make the pencil a little more comfortable to hold. They make uh, accessories to help you clean the iPad as well. They've got it all. The ability to handwrite notes in a digital form is great to begin with, but getting that extra tactile feeling that makes me happy while I do it, (laughs) that gives me that little dopamine, that little serotonin burst that I like to have, is fantastic. The latest version of the Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils designed for maximum picture clarity. You're not going to lose any of the definition of your iPad screen if you put a paper-like on there. And these foils are developed exclusively for paper-like products. It also always comes in a set of two, so you have a spare. Look, we know a lot of artists listen to this show. If you're an artist and you're looking for a way to make drawing on your iPad feel a little bit better, this is how you do it. So, to pick up your paper-like, head over to paperlike.com Ajax, click Buy Paper-like, and select your iPad size. From now, right now, until the end of January, Paperlike is also including their digital pro planner bundle at no extra cost for every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. So if you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com Ajax to get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Comics Catch-Up. This is the spinoff of the spinoff of War Rocket Ajax. This is the spinoff of every story ever. 
where we catch up on comics that we might have missed out on or maybe started reading and then fell off of for whatever reason so that we can get back to that good stuff that we missed while we were busy reading bad comics. That's right. My name is Chris Sims. And I'm Matt Wilson. And you're with me as always. That's right. Yes, I am with you as always. Yeah, we had to read every issue of Doomsday Clock for some reason. Stuck it out with that one. Really stuck it out. I don't think, Chris, that either of us started in on the comic that we're reading this month for Comics Catch-Up. It's just one that passed right by our radar. And we're catching up on it. Um, Usually we do a listener poll to determine what we're going to be reading on the show. But this month, because of uh, you know what's going on in the world and because it's Pride Month, we decided we're just going to read this one. And uh, it's a comic that came out back in, I believe it was 2019, uh, or at least the trade paperback came out in 2019. It is The Wilds uh, by Vita Ayala and uh, with art by Emily Pearson. Yeah, and uh, colors by Marissa Louise uh, and Stelladia. Letters by Jim Campbell and edited by uh, Danny Lore. Also in the trade paperback, there are several backup stories. I think we're just going to be ranking the the main series here. Uh, but the backup stories have different artists uh, who worked on it. So if you pick up the trade paperback, um, you should read those too. But we're basically just going to be talking about one through five uh, of the of the series in this one. Yeah, and like you said, I had actually not uh, really heard of it until you were like, hey, what if we did this one for Comics Catch-Up this week? Uh, And I'm glad that you did, because I would have completely missed out on this one, and I ended up really enjoying it. Yeah, it's it's really enjoyable. Um, Now, to talk about the basic premise of this, because, you know, it is from a smaller independent publisher that... You know, you might see their books on the shelf, but it's just a little bit harder to get the word out about books from publishers like Black Mask. So you may not have heard of it either. So the basic premise is that it's it's very timely for 2020. It's it's as though Vita Ayala had a crystal ball with which to see the future. The, the idea is that a plague... Uh, swept through the world and uh, killed some people and turned other people into creatures that are not quite zombies but are sort of zombie-like. Instead of being decomposing, rotting creatures, they basically have flowers growing out of their bodies. Flowers in various plants. And uh, they are highly, highly super contagious. So you could pick up the plague from them and then be a person walking around with flowers growing out of your body. Yeah, they're they're zombies. They're kind of zombies. And they're, they're kind of zombies. But like it is a it is an interesting twist on zombies that I don't think I had seen before. And I want to talk about that in a second once we're through the the general premise. Yeah, so. Because of the plague, 
society has had to change pretty drastically. People have to live in basically these fortresses. And the different fortresses have different purposes. There's like one that's all medical based where all the the medical professionals live and and where they do various research. There are different outposts where kind of just regular people live. And then there's sort of the central hub which is where our lead character, Daisy, whose name is a flower. I caught it. Almost all of the women's names in this are flowers. Yeah. Or plants of some kind. It's it's a pretty clear uh, like little winky thing, I think, that everybody's name is a flower. Our, our lead character lives, for the most part, at that central hub. And... Uh, she has the job of being a runner, which is basically somebody who moves supplies from one outpost to another as needed. And they refer to that central hub all the time as the compound. That's what it's called. It is the compound. And it is basically, you know, just like where a lot of the supplies are kept uh, as as a place to, you know, run these items back and forth as they are needed. So that's the idea. And uh, very early on, I guess what you might call the inciting incident of the story is that on a run back uh, from dropping off some supplies, Daisy runs into this guy in the middle of the street who's being attacked by infected people. They call them the abominations in the story. And uh, she has to save him and take him back to the, the central hub, to the compound. And uh, he turns out to be uh, not just some innocent bystander. He turns out to be something much worse than that. Yeah. It's something that I don't always love, right? Which is a uh, a essentially zombie story where man is the real monster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think it's done pretty well, and it's not like it's not like that is not, uh, if you will, pardon the pun. Uh, that is fertile ground for a good story, I think. Yeah, and I think it, it would be easy to find similarities between this and other stories. The one that I always was thinking about, because um, it's it's clearly very similar. Uh, is The Last of Us. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, The Last of Us was in my head as I was reading it. Uh, because The Last of Us is a, a story where they're not just regular zombies. They're they're like fungus people. Like, the, the plague of The Last of Us is people start growing fungus over their faces, which is somewhat similar to this. And it also has the plot twist where um, El Ellie in that story, if you haven't played The Last of Us, spoilers for The Last of Us, Ellie gets captured by medical professionals who want to use her immunity as a means to uh, develop a cure for the disease. And that's kind of what happens in this too, because we find out about Daisy having a lover named Heather who also has a certain kind of immunity to the plague. That's a plant, and that's a plant name. That's a plant name, Heather. 
And uh, she is taken by the guy who we thought was just some kind of like innocent victim of the abominations. Turns out he's a, he works for medical. He's like the chief of the medical encampment. And he wants to synthesize a cure from Heather for the disease. Also, he can control the zombies. That's a twist. <laughs> yeah. He's got that he's got that pheromone juice. So we we don't actually learn about that until like the end of issue two. Or the start of issue three, really. And uh, it it's, it takes the, the story in a whole different direction than where you think it's going. Because you think it might just be the event, adventures of the runners, you know, going between, yeah. from encampment to encampment. But then it becomes this, we have to save Heather from medical because against her will, she's being held and used to synthesize uh, this cure. It's it's very smart. I I do I you know I it's easy to wonder like if this is just kind of like parallel thinking with uh, the Last of Us, or it has you know maybe it's it's just like a different take on the story of the Last of Us. I don't know if the Last of Us was an inspiration for this at all. Um, and again, it's it's a little hard to read it without noticing the similarities between the two stories, but I think they can both exist because they do tell different stories that just have some similarities. I, th- I think that these can both, you know, there's plenty of room for different stories about this kind of stuff, for sure. Yeah, I never had the feeling of like, this was retreading familiar ground as much as that they were like similar setups based yeah. on like a, a, a similar sort of premise. But there's one key difference, and it was like I think my favorite thing about the entire series is I really, really love the design of the zombies. Yeah. Uh, because rather than like, you know, being rotting corpses, or even like the the monsters in The Last of Us are horrifying. Yeah, they're uh, they're gross looking for sure. Yeah, because they're like you know they're essentially corpses that are also mushrooms. Yeah, uh, like the the abominations, you know, the zombies in this story have a very compelling beauty to them because they are people who look perfectly fine, except that they have flowers on them, and it's like. It's not even like like there are a couple of them where you look at them and it's like oh the flowers are like growing out of this person's eye but mostly it just looks like someone has stuck flowers on them so they look like perfectly normal decorated people yeah and I thought that was really cool because it gives especially on the covers like the covers have an almost like fashion magazine sort of look to them they're right? gorgeous like, yeah they're really pretty and I think at at its worst. I think uh, you could call uh, Emily Pearson's art stiff. Uh, yeah. But at its best, it has that, like, that Jen Bartel sort of, like, posed quality to it, you know? That, like, but, like these are 
so you know such stylized poses that they that being any like like they're purposefully posed as still photographs rather than you know having the flow of action but the way that is pulled off with the art and and the coloring is like really interesting and i think beautiful at when it when it works really well like i want to see more of these monsters cuz i think it's a very cool design yeah i i mean i if I were going to drag Emily Pearson's art in this, which I, I don't want to because I think it's I, – I really like it. It's a style you have to get used to. Mm-hmm. But I think if you're used to reading – seeing a certain type of comic art, this art can come off as being – I think stiff's a good word for it. I kept thinking about it looking sort of like the uh, the safety guide on an airplane. Mm. I think that's that's actually a pretty good comparison. It's it's got that sort of scent, like the poses are kind of like that. But I mean, again, I feel like that what's at issue is that this book is trying to tell a very different kind of story. It's not a superhero action story. It's a horror it's a horror story in a very different kind of setting than we see a lot of horror stories because you talk about the choice of the way the monsters look there's also a a really important choice here anytime you see the outside world or really the the areas where people live because we're used to like the walking dead right Mm -hmm. we're used to horror stories where everything is a total wasteland like all the buildings are run down and gross and like the outside world is highways with broken down cars and hollowed out buildings in this all the compounds all the the places where people live are these almost like sterile hyper clean environments they're like these super high tech bunkers you know and the outside world is totally like like nature has taken back over. I kept thinking about like the tweets during COVID where it's like nature's coming back because it, cause it's that. It's like there aren't people to mess with the natural flow of things. So like honestly all of the, the shots of like nature – like if if Daisy's driving down a mountain road, it looks beautiful. Yeah, like one of the first images in the comic that really sticks with me is like there's you know an empty car on the side of the road. Yeah, with like a family of foxes standing on it, like looking very curious. And it's like, oh, what a <laughs> like what a pleasant image of uh, the apocalypse. And we never get like a good like it is mentioned. It's like yeah, you know maybe because this is a sort of plant-based zombie apocalypse it, we plant-based yeah it's plant-based uh, it's 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 the impossible apocalypse <laughs> uh beyond apocalypse because of that like it's mentioned like oh yeah you know nature took over cities like very quickly after this but we never really see it like all we get is like oh there's a building with like some ivy on it but i think it's intriguing enough and it, if anything the book errs on the side of not showing a like wanting us to us wanting to see more right like it doesn't it doesn't 
cram too much world building into it. Yeah, I, if it, if I have one complaint about it, it's that the ending is a little rushed. If I, the complaint about the story itself. Yeah. The ending is a little rushed, and I kind of feel like it could have been a lot more powerful as like a six issue story as if it had done more, but that's both a complaint and a compliment because I'm asking for more from this story. This, this builds a world that can sustain a lot of stories. And I'm not asking for something that goes on forever, like the walking dead. But I think that those backups to bring those into the conversation, those backups about different runners prove that there's so much that can be done uh, in the world that this sets up because it is so different from your typical zombie apocalypse. Yeah. And I think if there's like, and again, I really did like it. Uh, but if there's a, if there, if there is like a glaring flaw to this, it's that I feel like the setting has so many different things, but the story doesn't, require those like this could be a story in any sort of zombie apocalypse you know like it has a completely different flavor and a completely different character which is good but this could have been an arc of walking dead this could have been you know the last of us not that it's done poorly but that like i want more than more than flower zombies (laughs) yeah i mean it it seems like the intent and I have no idea what the intent is or if there's any plan to do anything more with it, but it very much seems like the intent is to build a world where more stories can be told. Yeah. Which I hope we do get because a lot of the stuff that I found really intriguing about it, like, uh, like Daisy and Heather having the conversation about the nomads and how like things are very different out West, like in the desert where, which, you know, obviously it would be, Plants don't grow there. <laughs> That's why it's a desert. Or it's a different uh, kind of plant, at the very least. Like, I guess people are cactus people out there. That would be uh, extremely dope to see some <laughs> cactus people. Uh, but, like, but what is it like? I don't know. Like, I, I feel like it's... There's stuff that is mentioned that I think is unfortunately more interesting than than the, the ending that we get. Because, again, like, it does kind of take on a different... I don't know if I don't know if rushed is quite the right word for it, but it's definitely like it becomes a different sort of story when they're like, you know, when the action starts at the end. Yeah, and, and that's not necessarily the part that I think is rushed. I, I think the the raid on medical takes just long enough. It's the sort of epilogue parts that I think happen a little too fast. There's a lot of it where it's just like I want to know a lot more about about what happens to these characters. Like, obviously, Daisy and Heather are the characters that I'm most interested in. But it's it's also like, so a big part of of Daisy, like, well, we see Daisy, Heather, and the little boy that Daisy takes care of that we learn very early that she takes care of. Like, we see them driving away to go, you know, just get away from the compound, essentially. But it's like, I'm kind of like, okay, but what do they do? 
And what do the people at the compound do? And how do they deal with the fact that their leader, Smith, has turned out to be like kind of a traitor to them? Not kind of a traitor, a traitor to them. Yeah, the the dude who is like essentially running a um, like a like a company store mine, right? Like, yeah, and and the leadership of medical is in total disarray. Like, if there wasn't one doctor at medical who you know understood that what they were doing was wrong, uh, you know. Does she take over medical? Like, what is happening at medical now? Like, it leaves a lot of unanswered questions that I think a sequel could definitely answer. Like, it feels like it's a lot of it is setting up a a next story, you know? Yeah. And and I I don't think that's good or bad per se, unless we'd never get the next story, (laughs) you know? Yeah. I don't think that's a knock on the story. Like, oh, this story could be told in any zombie apocalypse. <laughs> you know, the it, it is at the very least it has all that intriguing stuff as a part of it that I really liked. Yeah, I mean, so, some of my favorite parts of the issues, the various issues, are the very beginnings because each issue starts with an explanation of a different aspect of the world. Like there's an issue, one issue that starts completely about, uh, like people trying to have children post-apocalypse, and how it turned into such a a problem because even seemingly healthy people were having a hard time having kids, yeah. or the history of the compound, or you know, each of the five issues starts with some kind of thing that says like, okay, here's the deal with this part of the world. And it's very well fleshed out. Like, clearly, Vida Ayala didn't just throw this together. Like, they built this world, clearly had some kind of, like, Bible of the world of the wilds that they are meeting out, uh, you know, issue by issue. And there's no, like, huge info dump. It's just, here's some more info. Here's the next thing. And I, I really like the pacing of that. It's, I think altogether, except for m- maybe the epilogue being a little too short, the story is paced really well. Yeah, uh, I, th- I feel like you could ask them any question about this world and they would have an answer. And even yeah. if that is not true, it has that feeling that I think is is really important when you're, you know, trying trying to do a. Uh, it always bugs me so much when I read like a vampire story and Garth Ennis has done this like a million times when it's like, Hey, you know, everything you know about vampires, throw it out. Here's the real stuff. Uh, that happens every time Garth Ennis does a vampire story, which he does frequently. Uh, (laughs) but like, I like the idea of not having that. But feeling like if I had a question, there would be an answer. Like it feels like a fleshed out world in, in that way. Yeah, a hundred percent. And again, I think the 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 structure of kicking off each issue with another like, here's another thing that you probably need to know about this world. It does a really good job. It also makes it 
a, a story that like one of those stories where if you go back and read it a second time, it's kind of rewarding mm-hmm. because things you're reading at the when you're reading it the first time, like things in the first issue where you're like, "What are they talking about?" <laughs> By the time you finish, you know, yeah, like like the dialogue from the first issue is informed by knowledge of the whole world and it might go over your head or you might not totally get it the first read through. But if, if you go back again, it all makes sense. I do think it's a little weird that we get, we essentially get like, we get enough of Daisy's origin, like her backstory to know what happens, but we don't actually see it until we get to the short stories at the end. Yeah. I mean, it's another thing where it's like, this is begging to be made into more stories. Yeah. It's just like, so there's a lot left on the table. Yeah, very much so. All right, Chris, we've talked about it. Uh, Let's rank the wilds. We talked about The Last of Us, but I feel like the, the comic that is the comparison that we kind of like is unavoidable is the first volume of walking dead. Right. Like, yeah. Very. That is the, the comic that we have to compare every zombie story to, because it is the most influential and widely read one of the past, uh, ever. Well, and, and uh, let's talk about the walking dead for a second, because people love the walking dead. The Walking Dead is a zombie story that is also shockingly similar to another zombie story from pop culture that came out not long before it started. Yeah. Because it's, it, ex- Dead- it's almost exactly like 28 Days Later. Yeah. When it started, everybody was like, oh, this is 28 Days Later. Yeah. Which, uh, hilariously, like I remember reading uh, an interview with uh, Kirkman about how the comic was initially supposed to come out before 28 days later was released, but they delayed it to Halloween because they wanted that to be like, it's a big, you know, creepy book. Yeah. (laughs) It's, Uh, but it's, it's, you know, cop. Well, I guess 28 days later wasn't a cop, but like a, a person gets injured, is in a hospital, wakes up after a period of time, and it's become zombie wasteland in the period when they were in the hospital. That's yeah. exactly the same premise, and both of those stories do it. <laughs> yeah. And it, it also turns out in both of those stories that the real monster <laughs> is people. Like, we are the Walking Dead is the, the point of both of those. Yeah. We are it's, the 28 days later. <laughs> we are the wilds. Like, here's the thing, though. That proves that a story with a very similar premise to another one can go in a vastly different direction. Mm -hmm. And I, again, because of that, I don't think we should hold similarities to the last of us up as a knock against the wilds. Oh no, I don't think, I don't think that's, again, I don't think it's a knock at all. Like they, the stories end up being very different if nothing else. So, I will say, right now we have Walking Dead Volume 1 at 515 on the uh-huh. list. Again, keep in mind, it's a very top-heavy list. Uh, I don't think 
the wilds as a story is quite as much it's not as much of like a sea change in as as the walking dead the first one of the walking dead was i would i would be hard pressed to put it above that book even though like i like the the monster designs more yeah i i think it should definitely occupy the same neighborhood though yeah i don't think it's i don't think it's that much miserably below it you know but i felt like that was the first kind of the first thing we had to overcome with that yeah i i would agree i mean i think this does a lot of the same stuff as the first volume of the walking dead where like stories that came after that first volume because that it already built the world and because you as a reader were sort of you know up to up to speed on what was going on sub- subsequent walking dead stories were better i mean mm-hmm. by the end it was an absolute mess of a book but definitely some of the stories that came right after volume 1 were better than volume 1 i think that stories that come after this if there ends up being more of the wilds will be better than this by yeah. virtue of the fact that all that heavy lifting of the first arc is done. So I, I think we can safely put it in this neighborhood with Walking Dead Volume 1 and and be doing it justice. Yeah, I think so. Um, I skipped down to 550, which is uh, Iron Man Recurring Nightmare. Mm-hmm. That's the uh, sequel to the one where... Iron Man and Doctor Doom go back to Camelot days, and in this one they go to the future. Right, 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 right. Uh, uh probably like I mean, it's probably as good as that. Probably as good as that. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's. I feel like I like the Scavengers, the Transformers, more than the CI story more than I like this. But I do think this is probably better than the uh, Alex Nero <laughs> Green Lantern story, which is above that. So. Okay, so we're gonna put we're gonna make it the new new five fifty. Well, what like what well, what do you think? Like looking up from that, do you see anything that that sticks out as being? Well, uh, at five forty six, we have Marvel Zombies three, which is another I think important interesting point of comparison. Marvel Zombies three is the first like really enjoyable Marvel Zombies. <laughs> because <laughs> it it stops taking the premise quite so seriously um it it's the it's the one that's funny yeah and brings uh uh next wave machine man into the mix mm-hmm. so i think we can fairly put this below marvel zombies 3 um that batman adventure story is probably that's a really good Batman adventure story. The 24 hours, uh, which is Harley Quinn drawn by Dan DiCarlo. Mm, yeah. Sounds pretty good. Um, but I think if you like this better than the Alex Nero green lantern story, we could put it above that. He was Kyle Rayner's arch nemesis, Matt. He, he was. was Kyle Rayner's Sinestro. He was, uh, but yes, I think, I think this is probably a little bit better than that. Cause, cause you know what? That story didn't leave me wanting more. 
Yeah. All right. So entering the list at number 548 is The Wilds, uh, which is pretty much smack dab in the middle of the list. And again, it's an extremely top heavy list. It is a good, good showing for this book that if you have not read it, I know we talked a lot about the plot, but I would say plot is not the most important thing (laughs) in this book. Yeah, no, and I think like the the plot is very rarely the most important thing. It's the execution, and I think the execution is like certainly worth reading. It's yeah, beautiful, beautiful art, a really different take on zombies, shockingly relevant. (laughs) Have it? I looked up the actual date that the issues came out. The issues came out in 2018, and then the trade paperback came out in 2019. So very prescient. Very smart, uh, really good stuff. Yeah, and it's what was it like? Sixteen bucks on Comixology is how we got it. I think it was sixteen ninety nine on Comixology. Yeah, yeah, absolutely worth that price for sure. We'll be back in July with another comics catch up. If you would like to let us know about something we should catch up on, we will almost certainly be doing a poll again in July. Uh, you can hit us up by email at warrocketpodcast at gmail.com or uh, let us know on Tumblr at warrocketpodcast.tumblr.com or you can get in touch with us on Twitter, on the bad website. Uh, Our Twitter account is at warrocketpod. Chris, any final words before we get out of here after talking about the wilds? Uh, I don't think so. Like Highly enjoyable. Uh, Definitely recommended. Yeah, uh, pick maybe, it up. Maybe a little, maybe a little grim uh, for for these unprecedented times, but also like definitely worth reading. Absolutely, it's you know if you don't want to read about a plague, I get it, but it is relevant and good, and also different enough from our world that you don't have to think about it the whole time. <laughs> for sure, yeah. See you in July with another catch up, everybody. Yeah, good catching up.